In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Jesus wants you to view him and to view yourself rightly. If you don't understand who you are as God understands you, you will not believe that you need Jesus. But if you also don't view the Christ Jesus rightly, you will not view him as the Savior that you need. There can be no confusion either of who you are or who Jesus is, or there would be no salvation. So it was in today's gospel text. Today we heard of Jesus wanting to see what the woman thought of herself, and thus also what she thought of him. How did she perceive him? How did she understand herself in relation to him? It begins this way. The woman comes to him and cries out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-oppressed. Now this is a good confession. She recognizes Jesus as the source of mercy. No doubt she had exhausted all of her other options. She tried every healer, every pagan exorcist, maybe even the pharmaceuticals to try to get rid of that demon possession. But the question is still, does she trust in Jesus alone? And so, Jesus does not answer her plea of mercy. He's silent. And that's because he's about giving her true faith. Faith that trusts in him alone. Now, did she expect that he would answer decisively and immediately? Maybe. Maybe she thought of Jesus. It's hard to know. He can see into her heart. But maybe he could see that she thought of him more like a divine vending machine who would respond to her every request for mercy, every demand that she would make of him. Payment entered, need received. Has he promised to hear her pleas of mercy? And on what basis? So he doesn't answer. But yet she continues to cry out, this time now, after, her, after his disciples. So much so that they're quite annoyed and asks her to be sent away. Now, will Jesus turn her away? Actually, it's worse than that. By what he says to the disciples, he overlooks her. He says that he has not come for her. And no doubt, she was in earshot. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This Syrophoenician, this Canaanite woman, is not part of the house of Israel. And no doubt, it is true, apart from being incorporated into that house, there is no salvation. Can she rightly be numbered among the lost sheep? Well, she's still not dissuaded, though. Even though it seems Jesus now has rejected her a second time, she cries out, Lord, help me. But he doesn't merely reject her. He humiliates her to the point of even calling her Cunios, a house pet, a little dog. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. The bread of Christ has been reserved for the true children of Israel. Only those who are called children can be given this bread. 
What Jesus says is true. Can she be called a child? Is she numbered among the lost sheep? Has he promised to hear her pleas of mercy? Listen to her. She remains persistent. She even accepts his assessment and still holds on to him for mercy. Everything he has said is true. Jesus is brutally honest. She is named among the Canaanites, a people that were under God's command to be utterly destroyed. A people who persisted yet, but in pagan idolatry, not through faith. On no basis can she be called the house of Israel, not by birth, not by blood. And everybody knows that he is is Israel's Messiah. And as was common in the day, she is a Gentile dog. That's what they referred to them as. Thus she doesn't deserve any of Israel's children's bread. And yet she doggedly hangs on to his every promise for mercy. Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And now Jesus turns on a dime and he says, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you desire. And your daughter was healed instantly. Great faith, meaning faith that claims nothing of coming from herself and everything needed in Jesus. The judgment of the word of the law spoken by Jesus is true. And yet, Jesus is also the end of the law for righteousness for those who believe. In Jesus, there is steadfast loving kindness with forgiveness and mercy. This is the same for you. Like the Canaanite woman, you deserve nothing but God's wrath and punishment. You're as much a Canaanite as she was for your idolatry. Your lineage is not all that great either, full of sinners, not true children of Jacob, of Israel. You also are personally without excuse. As Paul says in Romans 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, you in every way are corrupt. You have nothing God desires, and you need everything from Him. But preacher, (laughs) that's hard for us to believe. Well, not really hard to believe. It's written on your hearts. But maybe rather easy to ignore. We're experts at inflating our own ego. Consider ourselves pretty decent. We probably even hesitate to utter that word describing ourselves as sinner. Wonder, is that really me? Is that really who God is talking about? Is that really what he thinks of me? Surely he thinks more of me than calling me a Gentile dog, a sinner, like he did that woman. But this is Jesus pulling the rug out from under you as he did with the woman, by his word. By the word that accuses you of your sin and, apart from his mercy, condemns you. And this is his, what we call alien work, his an ultimate work. Tearing down your self-righteousness. Humiliating you. Humbling you. Being, bringing you to confess with that Canaanite woman that you are not entitled to anything. But he is the source of mercy. Yes, every thought, word, and deed has fallen short. God's image is lost 
But that's not his final word. You see how Jesus, through his interchange, as hard as it was to hear, and probably for her to receive, is teaching both the woman both how to understand herself, but also how to understand him rightly. And all this is so that she would receive him as, his, as her Messiah, as her Savior. She must understand who she is if she is to receive him as he is. That's why Jesus doesn't sugarcoat her, gloss over her faults, look the other way, just dress her up as something she's not. He says it exactly how it is. And for that brief time, the woman only knows Jesus by the law. For a brief time, and for her good, she knows only wrath, death, curse, condemnation, and judgment from him. And by that, she comes to learn who she is, but also who he truly is. Through this harsh word, and even despite this word, she is brought by the power of the Spirit to cling to Jesus, to hold on to him like a little puppy, <laughs> but she is, right at his heels. Even though all that he says to her is true, she doesn't let this stop her pleading to him for mercy for her daughter. She knows that even though she is worthy of nothing for which she asks, he is merciful. She holds on to that bare promise of Jesus that he is compassionate and merciful, loving and kind, despite everything that he has said to her, anything that the world or the disciples may say about her. And Jesus wants you to see him the same. He doesn't want you to think that you can come to him with your prayers to manipulate him like a puppet that does what he commands, pulling his strings. Nor does he want you coming before him claiming rights of sacred lineage, of the house of Israel. He doesn't want you to come to him imagining yourselves as righteous, even as fully human. And so also Jesus wants you to think of him exactly as he has revealed himself. As a child in the crib, as a criminal upon the cross, as a corpse in the crypt. That is to say that Jesus is God himself revealing himself to you in the midst of your messy human existence, all for your blessing. That is how God wants to be known. As Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh, with holes in his hands, his feet, and his side. He wants to be known as the God who comes near to you, comes into the very midst of your twisted, ruined existence. He wants to be known as the God who redeems you from suffering, namely the suffering of your sin, and to overcome for you death by dying your death. That is all to say, as he did with the woman today, he wants to be known by his cross. And he wants all humanity to be defined by his cross as well. At the cross, we learn that every effort that we've made to patch up our life ultimately failed. Only the fullness of his love on the cross can actually make us right again, can pay the satisfaction that our sins demand. God's way of dealing with evil, whether it is your sin, or today, demon possession, sickness, even death, 
His way of dealing with all evil is his cross. Because on the cross, all of God's wrath and fury, which that woman experienced in part through his words, his horror over sin, all of that appears in Golgotha, at that place. We see at the cross exactly who we are, actually, apart from his saving death for us. So we confess that we are sinners. We confess that our, all of our performance, our accomplishments, our behaviors, our lineage, all of that has to be set aside. Like the Canaanite woman, we have nothing to claim with him, apart from what he has promised to us. We believe that we are forgiven only for the sake of Christ's shed blood. Our lives are lived like that Canaanite woman, Syrophoenician, with bare, naked trust in the mercy of God. So by Christ's suffering, every sinner's sin and death, his true nature is revealed to us. We learn who he truly is. And it turns out that he is the God of love and mercy. God sent his Son into this world to take sin and death into himself and to bury sinners in his tomb. And there is no greater love than this. Again, in the cross we see exactly who we are and who he is for us. We see that we deserve to die eternally, but now through our death in baptism, we have life in Christ forever. That in the cross is actually the most glorious time that God has revealed himself to us. Because in that cross, he restores us to himself in mercy and love. And that's what faith is, to trust in that alone. To rely upon God for forgiveness, life, salvation, everything he promises. The Canaanite woman was brought to learn who she was and then to know who he was. So when you look to the cross, you know who you are. And you realize whose you are. You are baptized into Christ. And are now named by baptism as one of Israel's children, God's children. You have been joined in faith to the Holy One of Israel, Jesus. And have been brought thus into the house of Israel. Yes, you were once less than human by your sins. Maybe even a dog. But now, through baptism, you are Christ's own, having been baptized into his death and resurrection. He does not overlook you, but he dies for you and gives you his life. And by his resurrection, you are made holy and restored to full humanity in your resurrection. The danger here is to define your life according to what you experience, even as you experience God whether it is bane or blessing, rather than to define yourself and to understand God as it has been shaped by Christ and his cross. If you look to the cross, you'll see that you have no need to fear your enemies, not even death itself. You are free to risk all to love love all whom God has put within your reach. By the cross, you see what a genuine human life looks like, a life that is lived in self-sacrificial giving, joy for the other, your whole life being defined then by Christ and his cross. And so that's what we do. We cry out with the woman, O Lord, have mercy on me. Kyrie eleison. We live that 
unrestrained new life of forgiveness, love for our neighbor that we receive in baptism. We confess the sin to be resolved. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We love as we've been loved. We're merciful as we've received mercy. Maybe at times it seems in your prayers or just in your life that God has forgotten you, that he's rejected you, but look to Christ and his cross. And thereby not, do not be discouraged by trials or temptations or wants or needs. Hold fast onto Jesus as he comes near to you in his word, with his body and his blood. Cling to Christ desperately like that Canaanite woman, where God's mercy and faithfulness are for you without all doubt. May God grant it in the name of Jesus. Amen.